Love Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play. And download archived editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Michael Bungie Stanier, founder and senior partner of Box of Crayons. Michael is also the author of Do More Great Work and the Philanthropic Project in Malaria. Michael Bungay Stanier, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here with both of you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks. Well, l- let's start, I guess, first with the name of your company, Box of Crayons. I know you right. do a lot of work with business people and around innovation and change and transformation, and as your book mm-hmm. suggests, doing great work. But the name, of course, is very playful and childlike. What's the connection? Well, you know, honestly, um, I have part of my background is in the world of branding. And uh, when I first moved to Canada 11 or 12 years ago and set up my company, and of course, I didn't know anybody in Canada. I didn't even really know what I was trying to do because I just started my own company. And quite frankly, I was you know, willing to do pretty much anything they got offered. But one of the things I was doing was giving a free talk to some coaches here in Toronto. And it was about branding and what makes a good brand and what's the essence of branding. And I know stuff about that. So I had my three key points that a good brand would reflect and and embody. And I looked at my company name prior to Box of Crayons. And I suddenly realized that I failed all three of my own tests. So I was like, ah. So I had six weeks to come up with a a new name for the company. And I, you know. I, I, I brainstormed and I generated a lot of different ideas. And when Box of Crayon showed up in my head, it kind of went bang, that is the right name for me. And here's why. Box of Crayons for me speaks to um, something about playfulness, something about creativity, something about stepping outside the lines. Um, when I ask people to think about a Box of Crayons, you know, most people get a smile on their face because they remember being a kid and drawing and being being that playful. And for me also it's about, because uh, seeing as I do so much work in the corporate world, um, it's about diversity and diversity of thought and just kind of adding a bit of fun and enjoyment and color into what is sometimes a bit of a gray world. But here's the other thing to, to know um, about the brand name Box of Grayons. And this, and this, I think, connects really strongly to the importance of creativity and, if you like, innovation, is that I'm trying to sell my services to basically Fortune 1000 companies. There's a lot of people who, when they discover that my company name is Box of Crayons, have not the least bit of interest in working with me because they're like, that's a stupid name, and who would want to work – who would trust anybody called – company called Box of Crayons? That's crazy. And that's exactly the result I want because what I don't want – is indifference, you know, the old whatever. What I want is either somebody going, it's a strong yes or a strong no. And I think box of crayons can trigger both ways around that, which is perfect for me. And then just have to ask, what was the old name? Mm. You know, it was actually named after my grandmother, Scottish grandmother, and her name was Maida, who in turn was named after the wolfhound of Sir Walter Scott. So if you ever walked up and down Princess Street in Edinburgh, and you know the Gothic Scott Memorial at Scott's feet is his wolfhound called Maida, who is actually named after a battle in Spain. 
so it's all very complicated, but it certainly didn't really work as a compelling brand name, even though it meant something to me. And a great story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a different that purpose. <laughs> that is a great story. Uh, Michael, as I've been um, poking around and playing with uh, many of the videos and different tools and interviews and so on and so forth on your Box of Crayons website, yeah. um, gee, I've been just really engaged and find find it totally playful, of course. And um, one of the, th- I was looking at your values, which match um, my own and my my business play equals peace, um, just really grandly. And one of the right. things I noticed out of there was uh, generosity. And right. you, really, you really speak to generosity, and Box of Crayons um, is a philanthropic organization giving to other organizations mm-hmm. in the world. And So I wonder if you could speak to generosity and why being generous helps us to be to do our great work and to... Be create more creative and yeah. innovative in our lives. That's a really good question. Um, you know, it's not a question I've been asked before. Uh, you know, to me, I just know, and the science backs me up on this. I just know that I am a happier person when I am being generous, and that doesn't just mean giving stuff away. Um, although, you know, if you can do that, then that's fantastic. And you know, I have the the luxury, if you like, of being able to create stuff and offer up most of what I, I create for free as a kind of gift to the world because I earn a good living selling some of my other stuff. But I think generosity is also, for instance, a willingness to see the best in a situation or to see the best in a person. And I think that's one of the ways that it can connect to creativity and play. You know, if you know that you know, I'm sure I'm sure you're interested in neuroscience. It's really one of the more interesting fields in terms of understanding ourselves, understanding how we operate at the moment, the science uh-huh. of how the brain works. And here's, here's the fundamental question that the brain asks. It asks this question five times every second at an unconscious level. Am I safe or am I in danger? Is this a place of risk or is it a place of reward? When the brain perceives a situation as being a place of risk, what happens is it goes into kind of fight or flight mode, back into the brainstem. Everything gets a bit more black and white. Everything gets a bit more antagonistic, and you resist and you disengage. When you see it as a place of reward, that's when you sort of step forward, you become engaged, you stay more in your prefrontal cortex. That's the place where creativity lives, you know, where connections get made, where you can actually think differently and think more richly and think more colorfully. And I think one of the things about generosity is it can keep you framing the situations that you're in as a, a place of reward rather than risk, and that has some really positive benefits in terms of how you see the world and how creative you can be. That's a hypothesis anyway. There's probably holes in it, but anyway, that's part of what I think, <laughs> why generosity might work. Well, I also noticed one of the things when I watched your really cool video um, was the the line, stop hiding who you are. And, um, you know, I think uh, part of generosity is that you don't hide. You're out there giving, at least you're one end of that give-receive spectrum. And and another thing I noticed um, you talk about is the get – finding ways to connect with people 
bringing them into your inner circle and inviting yeah. people in and, and those kind of things. How, you know, what kind of things would you say about inviting people into your circle so that you can have a real meaningful conversation and move into doing rather than just talking about it? Yeah. You know, I wish I had a really good answer for that. <laughs> One that I could <laughs> apply in my own life because uh-huh. I think it is tricky. You know, I've just actually, uh, this morning I was writing uh, the, my newsletter for next week and I was talking about uh, that I think it's interesting. Here's another kind of little test. It's a model, so it may not work, but it might be interesting for some folks listening. I think it would be interesting to say, look, I only hold two standards in what I do. One is good enough, and the other is rockingly, fantastically awesome. And I think if you have those two standards and you know which is the appropriate standard to apply to the appropriate moment, then that's one of the ways of having impact, being happy, uh, living a good life, doing more great work perhaps. And, you know, as I think about the right people to invite in, I think for me one of the, the things that I've been learning over the years is that I really want people in my inner circle who are extraordinary. I actually want people who are uh, fantastic. Um, I have a limited amount of of self to give to people. And if I have a lot of people who are, you know, perfectly pleasant but not really fantastic, then the price I pay is less capacity for really connecting with the people who are amazing. And so I look at the people, for instance, and this is what I've been thinking about recently, who are part of the Box of Crayons team. You know, whether it be Marcella, who's my wife, but also my business partner, or Marlene, who is our head of operations, head of the ICU, the internal crayons unit, or whether it's um, Robert, who does some of our design. He designed the movie that you saw, Mary Ellen, or or, uh, Anna, who's designing one of the new books that we're going to put out. You know, these are people who, when they do the work for us, kind of make me go, that is awesome. That's exactly what I wanted, but better than I wanted. I didn't even know I wanted that. And it's that ability to kind of take you beyond yourself, I think, can be particularly special in the people around you. And so, you know, I think uh, I think there's something about, on the one hand, when people show up in your life, meet them and see and be generous with them. In other words, see them at their best and spend time with them. But in terms of who you really invite into that inner circle, be selective. But you know, when you when you find that person truly bring them in, truly make them part of a relationship. Be generous, be present, be everything you can with that person. What do you think, Marianne? Does that make sense at all? It does. I was thinking about Steve. Steve and I met on social media, and here we're doing our show, Creativity and Play, and lots of other things, too. So I I just love Steve. He's a great partner, great friend, and and all of it became because I – because I saw that he was a great, you know, that I wanted him in my circle and now definitely in my inner circle. So, so Marianne, let, let me turn the tables on you and Steve and go, it, I'm, I'm not sure who found whom, but it sounds like, Mary Alice, you found Steve. How did you know to invite him in? How did you know to kind of commit to building a relationship with him? Because taking those first steps are kind of high risk. Well, it's not high risk for me. It's kind of part of what I do, but I'm right. even more so now. But um, 
I this part, my story is that I found him. I don't know what his story is, but um, <laughs> right. that's my story. And um, I just saw, you know, he, he puts out a lot of a lot of posts online, and I saw this energy and a connection to. We both had a connection to interplay, which right. is something we've both been engaged in. And so I knew a little bit about him through that, and just. And just to and and plus he's a good looking guy, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so there you go. So all those put together, I said, hmm. Fair you know, there you go. Hard to resist a good looking man like Steve. I I understand that for sure. An Irish for sure. Irish. Only <laughs> we'll, we'll that half face no less on my on my uh, social media pictures. <laughs> well, I think all of these stories, you know. As we were talking before we uh, went on the air together, uh, you know, talking about the role of synchronicity and and how much that plays in, if we pay attention. Yeah. We also talked about in the last interview we did with Robert Moss and and you know how to pay attention, as you were just saying, to who do you want to invite in, and as Mary Alice was saying, the energy that that might be present in in the people we come across, and uh, yeah, so it, it's all very much resonating both both with me personally, but also I think. You know, so much of what we've talked about in, in the interviews we've done on the show as it relates to, uh, you know, doing creative, playful work. And, and mm. I think probably all feeding in. I, I want to ask you about your book, and I suspect all of what we're just talking about feeding into what, some of what it means to do great work. So yeah. uh, can you sort of take our conversation into what your book is about and, and how what sure. we've talked about so far fits into all of that? Well, let, let me set up the book really quickly just by saying – it starts with this premise that everything we do falls into one of three different buckets. It's either bad work, good work, or great work. Bad work being the waste of time, bureaucratic, sucking your life, crushing your soul type of work, which we all have in our lives. You know, that sort of stuff where you go, you know, if I never had to do this again, then that would be just fine. Good work is, if you're in an organization, you would call it your job description. So it's productive and it's efficient and it's getting things done and it's crucial to the day-to-day stuff and in moving things on, for sure. And then there's great work, and great work is the work that actually has more impact, that has more meaning, that you care about, that you're proud about, that when people ask you what are you up to and you can tell them about great work, that's when you really come alive. And the challenge is that good work, as important and as crucial it is to our, to our lives, is it is it's quite seductive and it can keep us all a little bit stuck in a bit of a comfortable rut. So we can be spending a lot of time just trying to get through our good work, you know, the endless chores, the endless tasks, the endless emails, the endless meetings, depends, of course, on your situation, but good work can just absorb your life. But what we're hungry for is great work. Of course, the challenge with great work is it is um, stepping out of the comfortable rut and stepping out to the edge, stepping out to what's new and stepping out to what's different, stepping out to the edge of our own sense of competence and ability and our own sense of ourself as well. So great work, whilst on the one hand, I think most people would say, I'm hungry for a little bit more of that, you know, the stuff that kind of lights me up and and makes me go, that's what I signed up on the first place to do, stuff like this. On the other hand, we've got this, this kind of tension pulling us back to the comfort and familiarity and certainty of good work. So you can start immediately seeing some of the connections with uh, creativity and play around this in that you know, creativity is often the gateway to doing great work. 
But when you do creativity, you know, you're experimenting and you're trying stuff out and there is, um, even with the, the the most trained of us, there is a kind of expectation of success and, you know, a purpose and there's got to be a reason why I'm doing this. Um, and it takes, you know, quite a... Uh, uh, it takes a, a certain amount of in, uh, emotional intelligence, I guess you'd call it, to be able to say to yourself, look, I don't know how to do this. And I'm going to play around, and I'm going to be consciously incompetent. Um, you know, it's one of the one of the the learning steps. You start off being conscious, unconsciously incompetent, like you don't even know how bad you are. Then you move to being consciously competent, where you suddenly realize how bad you are, and it's an it's a crucial step of the learning process. But it's kind of miserable because you're like, I'm a bit crappy at this. Then you move to consciously competent, which means you 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 know you're you're good at it, and you can kind of see it. And then unconsciously competent, which is you, you stop even realizing that you're good at it. It's just automatic for you. I think creativity, I think great work, is a place that pushes us into that consciously incompetent place a lot. And um, that is not a place that people go, I'm loving hanging out here. It's a lot of where we go, this is difficult. Particularly now that I'm a grown-up and uh, people, including myself, have expectations of ongoing competence. So I think that's that's a, that's uh, Steve touching on it at least the sense of what the book is about in terms of its focus on great work and how it might be connected to the importance of creativity in play. And can you give us an example of some of the work you've done around this theme with with a particular organization and how you've helped them sort of think about these topics in in practice in the workplace? Sure. You know, so in the and, workplace, and we should also mention too on, on your website you've got a uh, resource including couple of the chapters of the book and, and maps to kind of help people sort of think through some of what you're describing yeah. to us. So, again, you can sort of share with us what that's looked like when you've, you've worked with organizational yeah. groups to think through yeah. these questions. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I'd say is, you know, about the website, which is boxofcrayons.biz, there's a lot of free stuff there, and I'm really enthusiastic for people to go in and just pillage what they want, you know, interviews, downloads, e-courses, videos, all sorts of stuff. So thanks for mentioning that. But in terms of um, organizational work, I tell you, I tell you the, um, the decisions that people are making are the same in, as they do in just you know, outside our work life. And it comes down to this. Most people, most teams, most organizations are trying to do too much. They're, they find it very easy to say yes. And so they keep adding on projects and opportunities and strategies and tactics and you know, things to do. And I would say that often the biggest impact that I have when I go in and I talk to people about great work is about having the courage to focus on something that is great work. But I say, look, there are three the three aspects you need to develop to do more great work. One is focus, and focus has two sides to it. One is focus on yourself. In other words, what do I care about? What matters to me? If you don't know what you care about, it's hard to find the stuff you care about. Um, secondly is where are there opportunities to great, do great work? What's on my plate and what could I turn from good work into great work? That's step one. Step two, the second attribute, courage, willingness to start doing great work because one of the ironies about great work is that it's typically countercultural to the organization. Organizations are set up to deliver good work. Great work is I'm going to zag when everybody else is zigging and that's going to create resistance. 
And because of the resistance, you need resilience, which is the third aspect, which is this willingness and fortitude to keep going when you want to give up. But you, know, you asked about specific examples. I mean, I've just come, I was uh, in Amsterdam uh, last week, and um, just back from working with a, you know, a senior, very senior marketing team for a big teleco, telco company. And these are smart, experienced, you know, talented people. And the, the key outcome for them was to go, we've got too much on our plate. We've said yes to too many things. And the price we pay for saying yes is that we have a series of weak yeses rather than a few strong yeses. And to make a strong yes, what we need is a strong no. So we need to figure out what we're going to say no to, knowing that that's difficult, because it's easy to say no to the stuff that nobody wants to do, but it's hard to say no to the stuff that other people want to do, and it's even harder to say no to the stuff that secretly you want to do, but the price you pay for doing it is you don't get to do your great work in the way that it should be done. Does that help, Steve? Yes, definitely. Perfect. And I, I think it fits into the question I have about uh, it, that you brought up in what I've read so far in terms of habits and mm. also uh, seductiveness of busyness that yeah. they were, almost everybody I talk to says, oh, I'm so busy or I can't get back to you because I'm so busy. And they even give right. me lists of everything they're busy with. And, and, then, and then we have this habit of doing or often many of us have the habit of doing too much and mm-hmm. um and then and not looking at that so we just keep going and going and going so what do you have to say about those two things habit and yeah. busyness yes i saw your manifesto for stop the busy work i was going to ask you about that too <laughs> yeah you know um i'm really influenced by a book that came out i guess less than a year ago by a guy called charles duhigg he's a new york times reporter which is good because it means he's a good writer. And the book is called The The Power of Habits. And it kind of taps into the science and the structure of building new habits. It's stuff that people have tackled before because, you know, a lot of what we're talking about in our world is behavior change, which is effectively building new habits. But for somehow this was a real fresh take on it for me. And one of the things that he found, a study from uh, Duke University, was that 45% of our waking behavior is habitual, meaning we're not really thinking about it. We're kind of on automatic. You know, it's really driven by our unconscious brain um, with our conscious brain going, this is great. My unconscious brain's got the wheel and they're in control and I can just chill out for a bit. So we are, I mean, you could say we're literally into comfortable ruts because in our brain are the ruts, the, the, the grooves, the patterns that the neurons fire along to 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 build that habitual behavior you know a circumstance happens one that we're familiar with something like i get up in the morning and i walk out and there's my blackberry or my iphone or my laptop and what the brain goes is brilliant don't engage your conscious thinking brain you know what to do so you gravitate towards the screen and you start kind of answering emails and suddenly before you know it you spend three hours in your morning doing your emails, and you're into that busy work, habitual stuff. So for me, one of the, um, you know, you talk about busy work, you talk about habits. Part of the the starting point for busy work for me is to, first of all, go, look, is being busy a measure of success? 
you know, is being too busy a measure of success? And, you know, it's a rhetorical question because the answer is no, it's not, or at least it shouldn't be, right? Who, who cares whether you're busy? It's like, are you having impact or do you love the work that you're doing? That's more, much, many more interesting questions. Um, so part of it is then going, so what are the habits that keep me busy? It comes back to that willingness to make choices, say a strong yes, therefore has to come with it, say, say a strong no. But part of what worked for me and Charles Duhigg's uh, thinking was going, look, a behavior, a habit is not just the behavior you have. It's also the trigger that sets off the behavior. And so what I'd be doing, what I'd be thinking about if I was like, look, I'm busy and I want to shift my behavior, is I'd be thinking about what are the triggers that just click me into unconsciously acting in this way that is busy work behavior. And once you become aware of the triggers, you stop being unconscious and you start being able to make some choices about is this the behavior, is this the habit that I want to pursue or not. And the other thing I've noticed in that light that you brought you bring up over and over is it doesn't take a long time to stop and for in this instance look at your triggers. So five minutes? Right. We do a or, lot. Or, fast, right? or faster than that. You know, it's like it can be really quick. It, the the it, the uh <laughs> the trick is remembering to surface out of the habit, you know, the unconscious state long enough to do that. And you know, then we get into conversations about the power of meditation and the power of reflective thought and all of the, you know, part of why meditation is such a powerful skill and habit to develop is it gives you the capacity to stop and look at yourself rather than kind of going unconscious. It keeps you present. And I think that's part of the secret. I mean, I don't know about other people. I keep trying to do meditation and I find it extremely hard and you know, difficult to do. But it feels like it's worth persevering because um you know uh understanding that can set you up to make more conscious choices in your life so in the last uh minute or so here we've got left together yeah what what are you paying attention to now what what's uh calling your attention and energies because so much of what we've talked about we've seen on your site you know integrates so many different approaches yeah ways of looking at these questions. So what are you uh, excited about and focusing on yourself? Well, I'll tell you the three things really quickly that have my attention at the moment, and they connect really nicely to the conversation you've guided us through today. The first is um, making a decision about one of the Box of Crayons team members who I finally admitted to myself is not quite right, and so needing to have that conversation with them, which quite frankly, you know, is not a pleasant conversation, and I don't want to have it, but... I'm making the choice to have it so I can say a strong yes to having the right people and box of crayons. Um, second piece is uh, working on my new book and so giving my editor and that book its attention so I can write something awesome and useful for people. And the third thing is uh, my, a, a colleague and my, we're just about to launch our first online training. It's going to be called Presentation Genius and it is about how do you do more effective meetings, facilitations and pre present presentations. And, uh, uh, yeah, we're going to launch that in about a month's time. And that, there's a lot of back-end work going on there. So those are three things. I'm all, I call all those great work things for me. They're all pretty exciting. And can you say anything about your new book topic? 
Yeah, you know, it's um, it's similar but different uh, to the great the Do More Great Workbook. Um, the working title is uh, Have More Impact, Work Less Hard, New Habits for the Time Crunched Manager. So it's about 28, probably something like that, new ways of understanding you got this as an old habit. Here's a new habit to develop that will serve, better serve you and better serve the people you work with. Sounds like everything we've talked about today, Michael. I, I, uh, exactly. It's certainly <laughs> swirling around my brain, that's for sure. I think we should change the, the theme and title of today's interview to your new book title because it's so <laughs> Right. It could exactly. It could be that. Well, hopefully we can talk again when, when that comes out. And, Michael, thank you very much for joining us on Creativity and Play today. Thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to both of you. Thanks for, for your masterful interviewing. Thanks. Michael Bungay-Spanier is founder and senior partner of Box of Crayons and the author of Do More Great Work. And you can find his information that we've been talking about on his website at boxofcrayons.biz. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. And you can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and sign up to be notified about coming shows at creativityandplay.com. And find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dalbert. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you, Michael. Hope to talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.